All right, if I can grab everyone's attention back. I love the fact that people are hesitant to share, but when you actually get into it, feedback's a good thing, isn't it? All right. Um, you're probably either ready to leave the room right now because you really feel like, you know, you've done the Bill Crosby thing when you're at the dentist's office and you're crawling out on your butt and you're like, I don't want to deal with this, I don't want to talk about this, I'm not in a relationship, I want to be, I don't see one in the near future, so get me out of the room. I know last time we talked about some of the pleasures that people are looking forward to having a relationship series. Yes, finally we're going to talk about these things. We can actually clue in the guys on how to relate to the women. It's about time, all right? And the guys are saying, this is excellent. That's a chance for the women to understand what we mean when we ask them out. And they can say yes more often, okay? So these are all part of the dynamics we got going in the room. But in order to set the stage, we really had to back up a minute and really examine our own relational DNA to actually understand how we're wired and what we're wired for. And we looked last time at really looking at God and the Godhead, how he's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he's in community with himself and set the model for us. And in that same relational makeup, we are created in his image to be able to relate to God and also to relate to his people and to relate to one another. And the best way to relate to other people is in friendship. To actually establish a relationship with another human being where your relational DNA, your makeup, your mix, your character, your heart, your passion, your goals are shared and discovered by someone else. And that other person can come alongside of you and actually ask you questions and challenge you and help you become a better person and will not give up on you when you get disappointed or go through difficult times, but more importantly, will rally other friends around you. And it was from that foundational base of friendship we want to carry on tonight's conversation. So before we get to tonight's conversation, there's a couple things heavy on my heart that I want to just offer up before the Lord to be able to get my mind set on what we're going to discuss tonight, but also ask you to join me in prayer. Uh, you may or may not be aware of it, but Todd Simchak, uh, he's the senior high pastor here, and his daughter fell on her head and really severely hit her head to a point of being admitted to the emergency room with a, a pretty severe concussion, and there's some brain swelling there. So I want to pray for that. The second area that I want to pray for is there's many of us in fire, whether you're new or you've returned or you've been coming for a while, you may be going through some transition times. That often happens in the spring as we lead into summer. You may be moving out of your apartment, you may have wrapped up some classes, you may be changing jobs, you may have been in a relationship that ended, you may have had a loved one pass away. So I want to pray for those things and the transition part of your life. And then the third one is Grace Chapel has the annual meeting this coming Monday night, uh, Monday, June 11th. And there's a lot of heavy matters being presented before the congregation to vote on. And you may be affirming that or you may be concerned about that. Either way, I want to pray for the congregation and allow you to know that that's happening. If you're a member, I encourage you to be there and vote your conscience. If you're not a member, that's okay. Continue to pray for the church, to pray for fire as we uh, submit to what God is doing here. So just join me as we pray. Lord God, you are holy and you are glorious as we just sung. And you are also faithful, all-knowing, wise and caring. By sending your son Jesus Christ, you have shown the way of your compassion, your mercy and love. And we call on that right now. We call on your healing power, your incredible depth of, of touch for the Shimshak family, Lord. Please come around them in this time of need and please heal, heal this little one, Lord, and take away any fear and worry with, his, uh, with Todd and his wife Jamie, Lord, and please allow the whole family to come back healthy and strong. And Lord, there's many here tonight that may be going through a difficult time or have just completed a difficult transition or are preparing to go through something. You know what those difficulties are, Lord, and we lay them at your feet and ask for you to care for every single one of us that's going through a trial and allow your Holy Spirit to come alongside and to fill us and walk behind us as we wrestle with these things, 
as we grieve, as we long to kind of get through them. Lord, we pray for your wisdom and insight, understanding, and love, no matter what the difficulty is. And then the third request, Lord, is we, we pray for Grace Chapel as a whole body. We pray for the coming annual meeting, and we pray for your incredible unity to be filled in this congregation to show us truly how you want us to be a church and how you want us to prepare for this coming year as we vote on the annual budget and also coming years as we look at different things that are going to affect the bylaws. You are a holy, awesome Lord, and we are just so thankful that you are three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that we can look to you as the ultimate community and we can learn from you through your scripture and through a community like FIRE so that we can be better people prepared to live out the relational DNA that you have given us. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Now, going back to my icebreaker question, you may be saying to yourself, if the first part of this relational DNA was looking at friendship, what are we going to be looking at tonight? Well, I actually asked you, what do you want to talk about in this relationship series? And I got a lot of emails. I got a couple phone calls. I met with some people. So I have to kind of put a couple of premises or cautions or this may not apply to you, even though it sounds like it's you, before we get into tonight's talk. For example, I'm going to talk about a couple of scenarios, a couple of stories, a couple of accounts, and you may be saying, Wait a minute, JT, that's my story. That's purely coincidental. <laughs> but I will tell you this. None of the stories are hypothetical. They're all real. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> but on all laughter aside, at times tonight may prick your pride. It may make you look deep inside and it may make you want to close your eyes, only because we're going to be talking about your friend. No, we're going to talk about you. We're going to talk about you and what you feel is required to be in a relationship. We're going to begin a conversation like we did two weeks ago and just kind of have a cup of coffee together. You know, in a way, I wish we really all were at Starbucks, and, you know, we could have our best drink and kick back and sit and just have an ongoing conversation. So that's kind of what I'm going to try and do. Here are a couple of the examples of questions that I received in the last two weeks. You may have your own, and if it's not addressed tonight, please talk to me, email me, talk to any one of the other fire leaders. It gets back to me, and we'll look at those in two weeks because we really want to make this be a series that we all can learn from. So, for example, here's one of the questions that I got, and it's a two-edged question. There's one perspective, and then there's another perspective. Let's say there's a guy and a gal, they're friends, and they're hanging out together and they're enjoying friendship and they got the group and they do everything together. You know, they, they go camping on the weekend, they go down to Six Flags when it gets warmer, they're canoeing down the Ipswich River, they're a group and they're hanging out. But this particular guy and gal in the group, for whatever reason, have found each other more friendly. And they're talking on the phone, they're emailing each other more in the percentage than anyone else in the group, more than any other person in the group. They find that they are talking to one another, confiding in each other, sharing each other, talking about future plans and goals. What they're really doing is they're, they're starting to move from a friendship into a relationship. Their relational DNA, the way they connect, the way they converse, the way they think, they're starting to line up with each other. So the first question is, when that's happening, okay, and you're one of the people in that kind of subgroup of the larger kind of group that's hanging out doing everything together, you're that guy and gal, you're one of those people, what do you do if you're not interested in furthering it into a romantic relationship? What do you do if all you want is to maintain the friendship, the status quo, the happy joy that you have? The other part of that question is, you're the other person in that relationship, that friendship that's gone to a deeper level. You actually have the question, I like this person, I'd like to examine it and move it forward, and perhaps if that goes well, move it even one step closer to an engagement, and if that goes well, propose 
and ask that person for marriage, or if the question is popped, to be able to say yes. So, on one side we have the question, guy and a gal are hanging out together, we only want friendship. On the other side, someone in the guy-gal relationship wants more than friendship, wants a relationship. How do you handle it? Then I had another kind of series of questions. And it went something like this. I've been dating this person. It's been going well. In fact, it's going extremely well. How do I know this is the one? How can I say yes if I'm asked to marry? Or how can I actually have the confidence to know that this is the right person for me for the rest of my life to ask this person to marry me? And believe it or not, I hate to say this, but that situation has the flip side too. I've been in this relationship, I've been in the relationship for a while, but I don't think it's going anywhere, I kind of feel like we've hit a wall, it's kind of gotten routine, mundane, I just feel like we're going through the motions, I don't have the heart to tell him, I don't have the heart to tell her, what do I do, how do I exit this relationship well, and more importantly, how can I keep the friendship? We could spend weeks on either one of these questions, okay? So we're just going to try and kind of pick our way through and see where we go. Because I actually think either question, we need to actually examine our relational DNA. And like last time, we looked at if we are friend-worthy or friend-faulty. Tonight, I actually like us to look at relationship-worthy or relationship-faulty. Are you, are we relationship-worthy? And before we even look at that, I want us to remember what Proverbs 23 says. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. For above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. I have a reality check for you. The reality check is there is no one in this room that is going to guard your heart better than you. There will be people in this room that are extremely friendly, caring, nurturing, concerned for your well-being. But there is no one more capable of guarding your heart than yourself. So what does that mean? Does that mean you take your heart and you put it in a steel case and you are the only one that has the lock on it and you make sure no one gets in to hurt your heart? No. Does it mean that you take your heart and you throw it out into the group and you hope that someone's going to catch it? No. But somewhere between the locked case and throwing your heart away is a happy medium of guarding your heart. Because really, you have three connecting points of what your heart means. It means a spiritual connection with another human being. How can you relate on the soul level? It also means the kind of intellectual and or emotional level. How do you think, react, correspond with another person? And then there's the physical, which Hollywood has down. They really, all relationships are about physical connection in Hollywood. But they fail to remember that there's two other key components to all relationships. So the last one is the physical connection. And I think one thing that we need to hold each other accountable for is not to let any one of those three run out ahead of the other two. And oftentimes, what's the first one out of the gate? It's the physical. And yet we don't have the soul connection or the emotional depth or the intellectual relatability. So we've got to be careful with that. So the real question that I want to start us with is, are you relationship-worthy? Now keep in mind, I'm talking about in this given example that you have moved beyond friendship with a person of the opposite sex and you've now been praying, and you're considering about moving into a relationship with this person. Okay? Let's, let's kind of talk about a Sunday experience I had a few weeks ago. I went to Seattle's Best before the evening service, and I saw Tommy and Nikki sitting there. Tommy kind of had a sparkle in his eye. Nikki had her hand across the table. And you know, I think Tommy paid for the coffee. Nikki was listening attentively. I saw her moving her head up and down, and she was really, really paying attention to what Tommy was sharing. And Tommy, you know, 
He definitely was making her smile, and there was a lot of laughter. I could tell this is a good stage of a budding relationship. Oh, oh, wait, wait. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I broke the friendship rule. I should not have mentioned their name. I'm gossiping. I should value who they are and not be talking about them. After all, that's what we shared last week. But will you, will you beg my pardon on that? I'm not talking really about who these people are, but more an example about relationships. But see how easy it would be for me to go on and talk about that particular couple? And you could be thinking about people and putting names together in places and times. And next thing you know, we're all talking about a hypothetical situation of a pair of people that I may not even be talking about. And that's the problem with gossip, is it can sometimes take away from the reality at hand. So I just want to put that caution right there. Now back to this cup of coffee. What you don't know is Tommy's been in a men's group. He's got a couple of pals that he hangs around, and he's been praying about whether he should be in a relationship or not. He's been asking God to reveal to him and also his pals, the buds that he hangs out with, whether he is ready to be in a relationship. And his friends actually asked him a couple of questions. He said, tell me about your relationship with God. Do you love God above everything else? And you know what was amazing as they asked him that question eight months ago? He had to do a gut check. He wasn't ready for that question. He said, love God above everything else. I love my job. I love my car. I love my dad. I love my dog. All these things I spend an enormous amount of time with, maintaining those relationships or maintaining the vehicle or working hard to get a better position in the company. But to love God above everything else, what does that exactly look like? Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now, to be relationship worthy, you have to love God above everything else. Have you taken a moment and really thought what that means for you? So that if God calls you to be single for the rest of your life, God's love would be enough. If God called you to be married for the rest of your life, God's love would be enough. It wouldn't matter to you if you were single or married. That's what it means to have God's love above everything else. God's love would mean that if you were in a car accident tomorrow, and you lost the use of your leg, God's love would be enough to meet you in your pain and agony and be able to carry you through the future of your life. Are you relationship worthy where God's love is above everything else? Your relationship with God is most important, central to your life. The second point. Are you relationship worthy where you have a healthy love of self? In other words, you can look in the mirror and you like what you see. You don't sit there and say, I wish I had blonde hair, or I wish I had contact lenses and not need glasses, or I wish I had curly hair, or I wish I was taller, or I wish I was thinner. You can look in the mirror and you can sit there and say, I'm a good person. I'm a likable gal. I'm an honest man. I have a heart of character, and I like the person that I am. It means that you know that people count on you, and you like that about yourself. You know that you've got a place that you can call home, and it's because you're there, and you make it a better place because you live there. You have a healthy self-image. It says in Matthew 22, 36 to 40, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. By the way, this particular scripture quoting, Jesus' words, 
are also going to go to the next point. But we're just going to look at it right now as what it means to have a healthy self-perspective, a self-worth, a value that only you can trust and rely on that first comes from having God be above everything else. And as you have God be Lord over your life, he gives you, by indwelling the Holy Spirit, your value, your relationship DNA gets mixed up so that you are redeemed, you are made whole, you are made new, you are made complete in Christ so that you can be comfortable in your own skin. And you know what's funny? You may not know this. And again, you might. And if we were having a cup of coffee, you might say, JT, you come across as an extremely confident individual. And I might say, you're wrong. I actually have a very low self-esteem problem. Or at least I had one until I got more mature in this whole process of sanctification where the Holy Spirit changes me from within. But I think we all have a self-esteem image problem, and that's what I'm going to look at if we're relationship faulty. But staying here in relationship worthy, what happens is you may have thought you looked ugly, or you may think you're of lesser value than other people, or you may have a different perspective of your intelligence, your athletic ability, or your social ability. So therefore, you don't have a right self-image of yourself. What I'm saying here is that you've gone through that and you're now at a point of healthy understanding of who you are. Then you're ready to have a relationship. The good news is you don't have to be 100% there because I know I'm a working process and I'm married. And I know that there are single men that I look up to and respect who are still a work in process, but I think they got it all together. So I'm not trying to say you have to be perfect with your self-image. You have to have a good understanding of who you are and be able to start to appreciate who you are. The next part. A person in relationship worthy, a person is relationship worthy when he or she wants the best for others. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if there's a a woman that you like, and a guy comes along and they start to date, and six months later they get engaged, you're not bitter, jealous, and pining away saying, woe is me, I wanted to go out with her. No. Relationship worthy is you're like psyched for this guy to be able to start a relationship with this gal, and you're praying for them as they date. And you're hoping that it will lead to a successful marriage relationship. Let's take it one step far. Let's not even look at relationships. Let's look at it in the workplace. You got someone that joined the company the same day you did or the same week or month. You've been working alongside this person. Next thing you know, this person gets a promotion and you don't. Wanting the best for others means you are right there behind that individual high-fiving him, giving her a pat on the back, saying, way to go. Is there anything you need? Can I help you? Wanting the best in others is what Christ modeled for us. It's the sacrifice. It's the empowerment. It's developing others so that they can be better than you. That's a key aspect to being relationship-worthy. And not only that, as you carry that particular part out in your life, other people will notice. Other men and women will be paying attention so that they will be talking well of you and your character will precede your presence. Wow. Wouldn't that be something? That if there was any gossip, which we don't want to have happen, but if there was, the whispers would be saying, that's a great gal. She loves God. And she always wants the best for others. He's an honest man, and he serves the Lord with all his heart, mind, and soul. And he always looks at ways of improving his friends. Now that's relationship worthy. The last one. A person is relationship worthy when he or she is ready for eternity. Now this one you probably don't want me to read. But I'm going to read it anyway. And only read it because the reality is there's a depth of heart conviction here and something that we all need to hear. 
comes from a correspondence that Jesus was having, a conversation he had with some teachers. Some of the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother, a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. Now, listen, don't be confused with the Sting song about seven brothers, okay? We're talking about Jesus way before Sting was alive, all right? Sorry for that bad attempt at humor. Back to the story. <laughs> now, there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second and then the third married her. And in the same way, the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her. So just to kind of summarize, okay, back in Moses' day, that if a man had brothers, and the man married, and he died, and he had no children to be able to take care of the mother, then his brother was expected to marry his brother's wife, the widow, and carry on life with her. In this hypothetical situation the Sadducees were asking Christ about, they were saying it happened seven times. There were seven brothers, and they all married the same woman. Okay? Now, the resurrection happens. All God's people are brought from the grave and brought into heaven to be able to live forever on the new heavens and earth. Who will she be married to? Weren't there seven marriages? Okay, you got it? That's the question. Okay? So here's the answer. Jesus replied, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the bush, even Moses shows that the dead rise. For he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, for to him all are alive. Having done thorough research on this, and also listening to our retreat speaker, Al C., we can learn from this passage that there will not be marriage in heaven. Marriage is a human institution. It is something that we can be able to understand what community and depth of relationship looks like to prepare us for an eternal relationship that we will have with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, there's great language throughout the New Testament that talks about Christ as being the head, being the, the groom, and we are going to be the bride. Whether we are male or female, we make up the bride of Christ. Don't worry, guys. I'm not looking at you with a wedding dress on or a veil or anything like that. Okay? But really, there's imagery there to think about a different type of relationship in heaven than we have here on earth. Now, I can't go into full detail on that because it's not recorded, but what I can tell you from this passage, from Jesus' own words, is that for eternity, we will not be married. We will not be given in marriage. So what we can do is go back to the first part of being relationship-worthy, and that is to be able to have God above everything else in our life. Why? Because that's what we're going to have from now through the rest of our earthly existence, and then beyond the grave for eternity. So we might as well get ready for eternity because this part of our life, existence on earth, is a fraction compared to affinity, the rest of our known existence. So if we're going to be able to live God-honoring lives, let's prepare for living for eternity now. And then therefore, it doesn't matter of our status, whether we're a mister or a missus, a miss or a Dave or a JT, okay? What matters is how we live for the future. And that future is being able to worship God with all the saints and angels and be able to do glorious praise and work for him. All right, so a couple things I need to share with this. I was hanging out with another couple, and they were going through some difficulty. And the difficulty really centered around this whole first question that I posed to you. They were hanging out a lot. It was very clear that one person, the guy, wanted to take the relationship to a deeper level. 
he really was attracted to this woman, respected her, been praying about her, and the gal only wanted friendship. What do they do? And they came to talk to me. I listened. I thanked them for coming in. I said, just a couple questions, okay? Let's just take apart your relationship. Let's, let's kind of break down the DNA structure of your friendship and where you're at right now, okay? I said to the guy, I said, have you been praying about your future spouse? He said, yes. I said, well, well what exactly does that look like? What does is, what is praying for your future spouse look like? And he kind of shared, you know, I, I want this godly woman, a woman who fears God and serves his people. I want a woman that really likes people. I, I, I'd like to see a smart woman, an athletic woman, a, a caring woman, okay? I was, I was like, wow, I didn't expect that. You know, I, I expected something that would have been off my list, you know? Five feet eight, blonde hair, blue eyes, okay? You know, drives a really nice car, comes from a family of money. Um, oh, I'm sorry, no, no self-disclosure, okay? Um, but really, he had a good prayer list. So I asked the same of the woman. I said, so who are you praying for for your future spouse? And there was, there was hesitancy there. She said, I can't describe it, but I know it's not him. And I could see, I could see the wound. You know, I could see the, the knife cutting into his heart. But you know what I saw? I saw honesty. I saw disclosure, finally, clarity, that this particular woman had the confidence to say to this man who really made it apparent that he was interested in her, that all I see is friendship. And I don't want to hurt you anymore and lead you on anymore. And I need to exit out of the depth of our friendship and move it back a couple of notches so that we can be just friends. I really, you know, I think they're both preparing for future relationships. I think they're both relationship worthy. He was confident enough, comfortable enough to share his heart with this gal. He had been praying. He had maturity about what he was looking for. He was not looking for the, the top Hollywood list of mates or the best thing to relate to that would make every head turn. He was truly looking for a wise, suitable partner. And she didn't want to share, per se, and I found this out later, because she didn't want to build him up and give him false confidence so he would go away saying, I'm those things. I'm all those things that she shared that she wants in a mate. She just felt that it wasn't right. So one of the things that I've learned, and I just share this as a conversation that I've learned, and I'm not saying this is the gospel and this is right, because one of the funny things is, is when we look at relationships and we look at dating, it's not really found in the Bible. There really isn't a successful way to look at our modern kind of cultural ways of getting a man and a woman together getting them to make a commitment to each other and getting them to keep that commitment for the rest of their life. There's an understanding about relationship with God and relationship with other people, but there really isn't this whole dating, wooing, courting, engagement. So the Bible is really helpful in how to understand our relational DNA, but it may not necessarily be helpful for answering some of the questions that we've raised. So here's just a couple of things that I've found. One I really believe guard your heart above all else. If you're starting to feel attracted to another person, before you let that fire, passion, rage get out of you, turn over to him. Say, Lord, I want to be a man, I want to be a woman ready for the person you are preparing me for. Change me, refine me, point out things that need to go, and allow me to be ready for a relationship. Not only that, God, allow me to share with my friends that I am considering praying in this direction for this person. 
So if you're a woman and you got some gal friends, you go to them and you say, you know what? There's this guy that I'm attracted to. He's got a great heart. I really think he might be someone that I'd like to see uh, be able to ask me out. Would you pray for me and would you give me your reaction to that? Remember we said last week we need to be friendship worthy? Well, friendship worthy is if you're a man or a woman and you have guy friends if you're a guy and you have gal friends if you're a gal, means that you're going to ask these questions of each other and you have the confidence and the trust that you're going to be able to tell the truth back so that you're prepared for one of two results. They're either going to say, yes, we'll pray with you. We hope that that will happen. We hope that if you're a man, you'll be able to ask her out. If you're a woman and he asks you out, you'll be able to respond. Or if you're a woman and you ask him out, he'll be able to respond. But the other reaction is, no, we don't think it's right. We don't think you two should date. Think about it. All there is is this physical attraction. There's nothing else that's shallow. You're better than that. You have someone more important coming down the line. Do not be caught up into looks. Those things pale over time. You want to find a heart connection, a soul connection. Find character that counts over the long haul. So you don't sit there and say, well, <laughs> those guys are wrong. They're no longer my friends. I'm walking away. I'm going to ask her out anyway. No, you've got to sit there and really consider them as your, your confidant and that they've shared their truth and heart with you and you have to act on that. All right, now I know, I know some of you are looking down at your feet and saying, how much more are we going to do tonight? This is kind of painful, all right? The good news is I'm going to read from a wonderful book that I found really helpful for preparing for a relationship. Just a couple of things, a couple of questions, a couple of areas. And, and the book is just something that I've found very, very helpful for me, not only in my own life when I was single, but also as I had the opportunity to share on, on relationships. And you know what? It has a great title. Dating Clues for the Clueless. All right? So Dating Clues for the Clueless. Here are a couple of things to uh, help us ready and, and be examining on this. Okay? How to be someone others would like to date. Would you like to be a man or a woman that others would like to date? Check your availability. Okay? Do you know what kind of attitude you project to other people? Are people clearing the deck when you're around? Do you have a stern look? You're always angry. You're always short. You're always fussing. You're always filled with anxiety. You're always filled with worry. You're always concerned. You're always anxious. You just can't sit there. You're just bothered by everything. Your mind is elsewhere. People are not going to want to be your friend. And the opposite sex is not going to want to see you in a relationship. So check your attitude. Check your availability. With that, I just want to share something with you. When I found Grace Chapel, when I started attending the young adult group, I was very involved at my company. I was very involved with the Boy Scouts to the point that in the spring, I went camping minimum six weekends in the whole spring. You do the math. It's like I was gone every weekend. And then in the fall, I did a minimum of six weekends of camping. And I was an avid skier. And for those that know, I mean, I love to ski. I'm passionate about skiing. And I would ski sometimes up to 30 or 40 days a year. You do the math. How many weekends was I gone when it was snow was on the mountain? I had and in the young adult group say to me, JT, you're never around for us to get to know you. I'm like putting a knife down. I'm like, what are you trying to say? I'm a great guy. I serve the Boy Scouts. I help those youth. You know, and I come to church and I'm trying to give God my all. And I'm like, we don't know you. You're not available. You're not around. It's not whether you're available. It sometimes can be a mental exercise where you're repelling people by the way you project yourself. So some food for thought. Second part, check your magnetism. Are you drawing people to yourself? Personality, an infectious laugh, an ability to make others feel comfortable. Are others drawn to you? Check your magnetism. 
You know what a great check on that is? Go back to your friend-worthy pool of people and ask them, are you pushing people away or drawing people closer to you? And then ask them the next step. If I'm drawing people close, is it a comfortable magnetism? Because there are some of us that actually go overboard with that. And we actually call, follow up, email, invite, include, make sure everyone is with us. And we can never be alone or whatever. And we're just like the huddled person. And we're always, you know, high-fiving and connecting and hugging. And, you know, give me a break. I need some space. But if you're the person that, you know, is got this incredible force field around you, you know, and, and you're not from the peanuts, you know, and you're not stink pen, and, you know, you got that old blanket and the dust precedes you, and, you know, people don't want to come near you, your friends need to tell you the truth and break down that force field and help you look at your life. Next point. Check your sense of humor. If you have a good sense of humor, people will take notice. Looks fade and body sags. I'm quoting it, okay? It's true. It's true. Looks fade and body sag, but a sense of humor is attractive throughout life. Now, now the authors here were not saying that you have to become the next great comedian. You know, and you're getting ready to do stand-up with everyone you see so that the heads will turn and everyone will be attracted to you. No. It just means that you have to understand your humor and let it be seen by others. Have you ever heard the expression that we share the same type of humor? You know, there are people that like Billy Crystal movies. There are people that like, you know, Jay Leno, who's from Andover, by the way. There are people that, I grew up there. That's the only reason why I mentioned it, okay? Um, there are other types of humor that people find funny and other people find repulsive. But if you share out the type of humor that you like or you are comfortable by laughing at yourself and laughing with others and not at others, that can be attractive to other people and can be attractive for the long haul. Check your appearance. No, don't change who you are, but don't hinder who you are either. So let me just re... re I, I kind of rephrase this a little bit. Check your appearance. No, you don't have to change who you are, but you don't want to hinder who you are either. In other words, by the way you look, appear to others, the way you dress, the makeup, the hairstyle, your stance, is it saying that you're relationship worthy? Does it say that you're comfortable again in your own skin? I got great news. In this group, there have been wonderful friends, especially friends of the opposite sex, that have helped people with their appearance. There have been pools of people here no, 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 it's not, you know, you can laugh, you can laugh, I'm glad you found that funny, but I got to tell you, that's taking friendship up a notch. When, when a group of, of women can get around the guy and say, you know what, your wardrobe has got to go. You know what, it's time to get a new haircut, all right? Or, all right, I had a guy that I met through the church, I was working for him actually in Cambridge, and I was in a cubicle space, and I worked for a company that had 98% women, all right? He was like the only other guy that worked with me, all right? The rest were all women. He came to me about three weeks in, and he said, can I talk to you? I said, yeah. He said, I'm going to share something with you that I hope will not hurt you, but really will show you an area that you need to grow in. I said, yeah, okay, what, what, what's going on? He said, you need to wear cologne. I said, What? goes, you need to wear cologne. I said, okay, I, I don't wear cologne, but I, I shower and shampoo every day, you know. He goes, trust me, you need to wear cologne. That's all I'm going to say, all right? Now, that may not be anything to do with my hair or my clothes or whatever, but it affected my appearance. And it really allowed me now to not repel people before I showed up, all right? I realize this is not, you know, my own therapy time, but remember I said this is a conversation we're having, okay? Couple questions, okay? Couple questions to prepare yourself for a relationship. Do you know who you are? 
so others will too. In other words, this kind of goes back to being comfortable in your own skin. Do you know what's in your past and how it will affect you now and will affect your future? For the guys that did men's fraternity with me, we did a really great examination of our past. And we looked at the past, things that built character into us, that helped us be better men. We also looked at wounds, things that hindered us from being a solid man for today's time. And it was really powerful as we looked at those things. Now this, again, is something that you have to take time and do on your own. But you need to look at your past. Look at your mother. Was your mother someone that you found a strong connection with? Is your mom a perfectionist? Have you found the fact that you cannot do anything right and you've found yourself being a people pleaser? Are you finding yourself being a perfectionist as well? Have you become your mother? Is that something you want? If it's not, how are you going to change it? Because it will affect your present and it will carry into your future. Or are you like your dad, someone that was always there for you or, or just showed his heart for other people and yet there was a distance there. There was a, a despondency. There was an unrelatability. It seemed like he was always giving people the shirt off his back, but he wasn't confiding in you. So you find yourself a little distant with other people, but yet you're likable. But you realize that you put kind of this unknown wall that people have to somehow get over to be able to talk to you, and you're not sure how to let the wall down. Have you looked at your past? Do you understand who you are? Another question. Do you know where you're going? Do you know your hopes, your dreams, your goals? Because you need to know where you're going because if and when you get into a relationship, you need to find out if that person is on the same path of life. If he or she is not on the same path of life, are you okay with that? Or are your goals, dreams, and hopes up for grabs? What does it look like in that kind of situation to be able to process that? So you need to know where you're going. And the last question that this book points out is, what do you need? We kind of examined this last week, you know, the goal, you know, to be able to have margaritas in our hands and toes in the sands and live happily ever after. That's what I need. I want my spouse to be by my side for the rest of my life. Believe it or not, that's a want. What we need is Christ to be our Lord and be able to serve him with the passion and gifts and talents that he gives us. And if God calls us to serve passionately with purpose with another person, then so be the glory of God. If he calls us to serve passionately and with purpose on our own, so be the glory of God. But we need to be able to realize that that question has a lot of weight to it because your want may be that you want to be in a relationship or you want a better place to work or you want a fancier car to drive. But those are all wants. There's only a few basic needs that will prepare us for living through each day and also for eternity. So, as you saw at the beginning, I had a bunch of rolling slides. That kind of helps us get ready for being relationship-worthy. But I have some encouraging news. Not all things are rosy. So the discouraging news is out. But the good news with the discouraging news is it may not apply to you. It may apply to the person sitting next to you. So just keep that in perspective as we talk about these next things, all right? Are your relationships faulty? Here are a couple of things. Again, if we were having a conversation, we'd kind of talk about the first one, do you have a skewed image of yourself? And we kind of hinted about this earlier, okay? A skewed image of yourself can happen in two ways. You can have a high self-esteem, a high poise, a high point of pride, where you think you're the greatest thing ever. I'm the best guy, and all the other women want to go out with me. They're lining up. Can't you see them? If I talk to that particular woman, she deserves it because there's no one better than me. In fact, I would do her not only service, but I would make her year if I talked to her. Okay? 
We need to be humble. We need to fear God and live for him. It says in Philippians 2.3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. But the problem with a skewed self-image is not always that you feel more superior. You feel you look better. You act more intelligent. You're more athletic than others. There's the other side. You don't feel that you even rate. You're not even on other people's radar screen, let alone your own. You have no self-esteem. Or the little self-esteem that you have is just barely able to get you through life because you have a past or you don't like what you see in the mirror or you have been hurt by others, no one talks to you, and you're just ready to be the first person to kick you, to kick you down. But that's not who you really are. In Christ, we can find the truth of who you are. And Psalm 139 is incredibly helpful for getting a right perspective of who you are. Part of the song, but I would encourage you to read that whole psalm. If you have a problem with self-image or your self-esteem or your value or worth, just ask pray and read over Psalm 139 for a week and then talk to someone, talk to one of your friends and see where God is leading in this area. It says in 14, verses 14 to 19, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My friend was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days were ordained for me, were written in your book before one of them came to be. God does not make mistakes. God does not uh, create you without understanding who you are and where he will take you. He's all-knowing and he's all-understanding. So trust him with who you are and allow that to become the center post of your being. Sometimes we're faulty because we fail to trust God for the future, and we take matters into our own hands. I joked about this last time, and I just want to kind of hit it again. I'm lonely, I'm sitting home, the phone's not ringing, I'm going to kind of join an internet uh, service provider, I'm going to take matters into my own hands, I'm going to try and use one of these online services to find my mate. Or I'm at fire, or I'm at Sunday night, or I'm at someone's house, and I see this person, I really like that woman, I'm going to go over without even knowing her, and I'm going to try and get her phone number, I'm going to zero in and get the task done, all right? Because you have taken it into your own hands, sometimes you'll get what you want. You'll actually get a relationship that starts. And you'll find yourself entering into the stages of a relationship that were not laid by the foundation of friendship, that were not built with the Holy Spirit so the depth of care and understanding and joy and humor can be there. So what happens is you get one of the examples of the world. You get stress. You get highs of happiness, and you get incredible desperate lows. I'm not saying you won't have those in a uh, God-honoring relationship, but when you do it on your own strength and power, you're setting yourself up for it not to last, and you're also setting yourself up for disappointment. Backing it up. I said over here, we got two, guy, uh, two people in a relationship. We have a guy and a gal, and their guy is really interested in the woman. He shared his heart and all that. Let's say it did not go with them coming to talk to me. This man has been praying. He's been wanting to seek out this woman. They've been getting to know each other. They've been hanging out in a group. They've done service projects. They're really starting to connect. There's a comfort level. In fact, people have seen them hanging out at Seattle's Best, and they're having coffee, and a couple people have even had the audacity to start praying for them that it might lead into a relationship. He gets to the point where he wants to know if he should ask her out or stay friends. Ask her out, stay friends. Ask her out, stay friends. He calculates the risk. If I ask her out and she says no, I will feel like a failure. I will feel embarrassed. 
everyone will know. I'll never be able to ask out another woman in fire. Grace Chapel, New England, the world. This will be terrible. It will be miserable. He calculates the risk. She answers, I don't know. I am not sure. Maybe. He calculates the risk. He asks her out. She says, yes. They start to go out. They start to pursue each other. They're praying independently. They're praying with their friends. They start to develop more of a connection. They get to know their families. They get to see each other's workplaces, see how they interact with their high school, their college, their work friends. They start to find out that there's more in common. They start to develop a relationship that's based on a solid footing that's centered before the Lord. That's how a transition can happen from two friends of the opposite sex into a romantic relationship. But you're probably saying there's a couple of things there that we haven't talked about. One of the things that hinders our relationship ability is the fact that we believe marriage equals life. Marriage equals life. Did you know that a lot of us believe that we're incomplete because we don't have a person to spend the rest of our life with? Unfortunately, that's a cultural lie or a social myth that we have. And the problem with that is what we already examined with Jesus' words that we found in Luke, and we already talked about in being relationship worthy. But more importantly, with that is what Paul taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I'm not going to read it, but I just throw that out for food for thought. He's addressing people that were burning for sex, were passionate about having a relationship that would lead to marriage or even have extramarital relationships. And Paul answered them, it's good to marry. It's good if you have those feelings of the flesh to get married. But he also said, it's good not to marry. And I wish others were as I am. And he was really trying to say in that that marriage is not going to answer all your your views of life, your value, your self-esteem, to the point that I just want to share a couple things that people have confided in me, that if you're a lonely, single person, chances are you're going to be a lonely, married person. If you're a socially awkward or relationally challenged person that's single, you're going to be socially awkward and relationally challenged in marriage. Marriage will not change you to be Superman or Superwoman. As much as we hope that, one, we will change because we put on the wedding ring, or, more importantly, the person that we desire to have in a relationship will change, if we get married, what often happens is we have to come to the point where we realize that it's not about marriage. It's about us. It's about me. It's about you and how you see yourself. I just want to share a couple things and then I'll, I'll uh, either close us or, or ask a couple questions. For some of you, you may know that I'm a huge Tommy Nelson fan. Tommy Nelson is the pastor of Denton Community Church out in Texas. And... Um, for those that have been at FIRE for a while, we did an Ecclesiastes series, and he's the one who really prompted us to get the series going because uh, I found his teaching and was just really moved by that. He's also done a study from the Song of Solomon. And in the Song of Solomon, he really looks at that romantic relationship found in the Bible and is able to unpack that for dating, courting, wooing, winning, succeeding in marriage. So this book, called The Book of Romance, actually looks at people before they get into a relationship, early stages of marriage, leads them into their first couple years of marriage. And it, it's just really, really helpful. So I just thought it would be really good to kind of answer the, the third question that was posed tonight, and that is, things are going really well. Can I proceed to ask this person out? I proceed to ask this person's hand in marriage, or if I get asked, should I say yes? Is this the one? That's kind of the question. So... When are you ready to marry? Good question, don't you think? All right. Here's how Tommy answers it. Dating is a prelude to marriage. 
So many young people are concerned about when they are ready to date. They are ready to date when they are ready to begin the process of choosing someone to marry or when they have convictions that will not compromise. Let me read that again. Dating is a prelude to marriage, so many young people are concerned about when they are ready to date. They are ready to date when they are ready to begin the process of choosing someone to marry or when they have convictions they will not compromise. Then he goes on to say, there are several prerequisites for knowing when to begin dating a person to whom you are attracted to. The first one, you are ready to date and marry when you have a silhouette in mind of the kind of guy or gal you will choose to marry. And when you have resolved it in your heart that you will not settle for less. Now hold on for a second. He said silhouette and you're probably saying a mental picture of a person. Let's hear what he says. I'm not talking about this is a silhouette. What I really want is a guy who is 6'2", with very wavy blonde hair, green eyes, and a great body, makes $100,000 a month, and drives a Porsche. God may have such a person for you, but that should not be your silhouette. The problem is that you've given the details of an ideal mate without any outline of character. A better silhouette would be, he must love the Lord with all his heart, actively desire to follow God in all things, have a servant's heart, and be the one for me that God chooses. He must be honest, moral, steadfast, temperate. He must love me as much as he loves himself. He must have a good reputation, handle himself in, godly, in a godly manner, even in times of stress, and be willing to yield to authority. That's a silhouette with well-defined edges. The details are ones you must trust God to fill in according to his desire. You are ready to date and marry when you do not have to compromise any aspect of your relationship with God in order to be with the person to whom you are attracted. If you start to find yourself interested in someone, guard your heart. It's a wellspring of life. If you find yourself not praying, not reading scripture, not wanting to come to church because you're in a romantic relationship and the relationship is taking you away from God, you're not ready to marry. Enough said. You are ready to date and marry when you are willing to be single rather than to make a bad choice of marriage partners, of a marriage partner. I think we've talked about that enough tonight. You are ready to date and marry when you are becoming the person that your ideal mate is praying about meeting. Let me read that one again. You are ready to date and marry when you are becoming the person that your ideal mate is praying about meeting. Now here's the wonderful news of that last comment. If you are praying for your future spouse and you're praying what God wants to see you paired up with for the rest of your life and you really want to see God bring that individual alongside of you. Meanwhile, there's the other person who's praying for someone to be able to be married to and asking the Lord to reveal this person to him or her. Imagine the incredible opportunity when God connects those two together. And as they unpack their relational DNA and their relationship worthiness to one another, what comes out is their heart's desire, God's desire, God's will is fulfilled because they preceded it with prayer. They proceeded with friendship and a friendship based of other people that can actually validate the relationship and help them move along by watching, observing, encouraging, commenting, and also giving them signs of growth. You know what? You're spending way too much time with him. You know what? You're ignoring us. You used to hang out with us. It feels like you've forgotten us. You can't have it so there's one way or the other. You have to remember there needs to be a balance of understanding there. So these are some early signs of how to enter into a relationship. 
by examining whether we are relationship worthy and examining whether we have some faulty DNA structures that need some overhauling. The only way that we can really be men and women of integrity, of heart, is if we're ready to address these things. And what I'm excited about is I know that we are, and we have been. In fact, I've been so encouraged by seeing the way that people responded two weeks ago, and even before that, when we even had dreamed about having a relationship series, as I've seen God-honoring friendships form. And I've also seen God-honoring relationships. What I've also seen is actually relationships that looked God-honoring, that weren't to last, break up. And I've seen those friendships, those pools of people come around each person. So the guys came around the man as he was kind of reeling from the breakup or wondering if he had any second guesses if he should have broken up with the woman. And at the same time, the, the women came around the gal who went through the breakup and validated her that it was right to call it off and helped her not second guess her choice. Or if she was the one that was the receiver of the breakup, they said, it's okay, we're here for you. We're not going to let you go. We're your friend. Because we need to be a pool of people that have God above everything else and then have one another as true friends where we can look in each other's eyes and be able to experience life together and know what it means to have joy and happiness and how to cry and care for each other. So before we end tonight, I just want to prompt us for what's going to happen in two weeks. We're going to take it a next step further. If we started with friendship and we looked at relationships, we're going to actually looking at what it means to be a man or woman in a lasting, committed relationship, whether it's engagement or marriage, and how do we Look at that. And to get there, you may have some questions that have gone unaddressed. What are those questions that you have? What does it look like for you? You can let me know. You can let any of the other leaders know. You can keep it to yourself, and we may not address it. It's really up to you. But we want to be able to, again, make this be a conversation. So right now, what I want to do is just kind of allow us to Think about what's been shared tonight and reflect on a few more words, and then I'll dismiss us. So let's go ahead and do that right now if we can. That would be great.